So then you can post it on your Instagram or whatever and say, I got Chick-fil-A. Somehow, you can make a whole story about it. Uh, anyways, this has just been wonderful. We have a few questions. You could text in questions if we could get that on the screen or it's in your booklet if you want to uh, keep texting in, totally can do that. Um, so yeah, so I'll, the format is I'll be asking questions, these guys will answer, we might dialogue and banter uh, with one another, and then uh, around 6.50 we'll sing one last song and, and end, it, end it on a high note. Uh, but yeah, so the first question, everyone coming in? Yes, all right, don't want anyone to meet. So the first question that was sent in, it's really good. Uh, I think you mentioned it in oh. your sermon oh. uh, about praying the Bible. And so the question mm. is just simply, how do I pray the Bible? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there's a really good book out there called Praying the Bible. <laughs> Very original title by, uh, was it Don Whitney? Yeah, Don Whitney. It's a, it's a fantastic book. Um, but essentially, as you're reading scripture and something that like sticks out to you, maybe there's a word. Am I, should I do something? Are we good? Oh, sorry, I thought I was getting feedback. Uh, maybe there's a word or a phrase that's really sticking out to you, and you really just kind of like pray through that, right? You know, uh, if you're reading something, um, I'm trying to think of a, a couple examples. Um, if there's something about like the love of God, I'll be praying about you know the and, and thanking God for His love and for His mercy or for His forgiveness, um, and then even even there's times where I mean Romans talks about uh, or the Scripture talks about sometimes I don't know how to pray right like, I just don't know how and I'll just start praying a psalm with the psalmist about despair or lamenting or um, my frustrations and so. Yeah, uh, but Don Whitney's book is a, is a really good one to get. I would really encourage you to pick that up. I think it gets us out of the Father God, Father God, Father God. Yeah. You know, all the meaningless phrases that we can throw in our prayers. Mm -hmm. It gives us different categories, and we start to pray. So praying the Psalms, you take whatever, whatever the Psalms is the talking Lord, about. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah. You said, Lord, you're, you're always satisfying me. I'm so thankful for how you satisfy me, I don't, I don't need anything because you mm -hmm. just kind of keep ramping on, vamping on that theme. That's praying the scriptures yep. and you just go down. Yeah. In a pra on a practical sense or in, on a real practical level, determine what you're reading. If it's a passage that's emphasizing commands, law, do this, then you can pray that God would help you to do those things. Yeah. Right. Begin to like uh, unpack that in your life. If there are promises, um, he's, uh, uh, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then now you are reveling, right, and praising mm -hmm. God or adoring God because of what he does. And if it's a few promises that relate to what you are going to experience in the future, you can pray, God, would you do this? You've promised that you will. So I pray that you will fulfill your word, not because you're doubting him, but because, you, again, you're reveling in him. But mm -hmm. determining what kind of passage it is can help you determine how you want to pray, whether it's commands, help me to do or if it's promises, help me to believe, that, that sort of a thing. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I, I found that the Psalms are a great place to, to start. And if, mm -hmm. even on a more practical level, next Wednesday, we have all church prayer night here. And we pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I think the Lord's Prayer is just a perfect way, place to start um, 
it's how the, Lord, the disciples asked. Teach us how to pray, Lord. Yeah. They heard him preach, and then they probably overheard him pray, and they're like, I want to pray like that. And he gives us the <laughs> Lord's Prayer. And um, throughout the centuries, uh, the church has used that as a, a model of, of prayer. So come on up Wednesday night, next Wednesday, and we do that together as a congregation. Man, nice plug, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well Perfect. done. Perfect. <laughs> this, uh, this person uh, wrote, how do I have uh, real intimacy with God uh, like, like I read the Bible and make time for him first in my day? Um, so there's a lot of likes here. So like how do I do that or really what does that mean to have intimacy with God? What does that look like? Mm. So I guess we're just wrestling with that idea. Well, it, it, I think it would, it would mean um, more than ritual, right? It would mean that there is some sort of affection. Um, and I like the word communion, right? We use that word a lot, you know, communion with God, b- meaning that there is a relational um, component that, mm-hmm. ma- that maintains an experiential connection between the God who is and who has spoken and you and where you're at. So I, I think if you... Like, well, I read my Bible, and I prayed, I didn't feel much. A, sometimes that's how it works. Sometimes you just don't feel much. Sometimes God pulls back and sees, are you going to keep doing it when I don't let you feel a whole bunch of stuff? Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to keep seeking me? It's one of the things God does. But I think in general, though, uh, I would say if if I'm um, in a particular place and I'm reading God's word, Am I, am I reading it to understand him in my particular context, talking to God about what I'm going through, how I'm feeling, whether I feel that he's distant or I'm distant or whatever? That seems to make a bigger connection in, in my life when I'm evaluating where I'm at, understanding that God is present, mm-hmm. drawing those lines of connections to where I'm at and where he is and what I need to do in response. And then I would say uh, use as many tools as are helpful. I use the, we use the value of vision a lot yep. as a prayer guide. Um, that's really helpful. But if there are good Christian bands or hymns that you really like that really speak to you, use those, utilize those. Whatever stirs your heart, mm-hmm. like leverage those things as gifts and opportunities because um, everybody's a little bit different. Maybe music's not your thing. Maybe poetry is. Well, the Bible's full of poetry, and uh, we've had many Christian traditions that hit on it as well. So leverage whatever you can. And just to add on to that, I think it's hard to have intimacy without transparency and honesty. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I used to always kind of feel like I would have to pray a certain way or sound a certain way, use certain words, and I was afraid to be honest that, Lord, I'm not feeling it. Like, I'm, I'm not feeling this, I'm not vibing, I'm not kind of connecting here. But once, it was just this weird sense of, I mean, it seems logical to me now, but even then, I felt foolish even saying it. Well, obviously, he knows how I'm feeling. He is God, and yet I'm trying to hide that and trick him. That, like, no, I'm all good, God. I love this. Like, and so being able to be honest with where I'm at, my struggles, my frustrations, my temperament, uh, for me personally, was was instrumental in developing this intimacy in my prayer life and in my walk with God. I would want to say two things. You can't have quality time if you don't have quantity time. It's that consistent day after day after day. That happens, quality, that great moment when you feel like you're on top of the world and you feel like you're really close with God and he's stirring your heart up. That happens because you've done it often. And then he comes and you're going, okay, I would love to have this every time. Mm -hmm. And it gets a hunger and thirst after him. And I love what 
Joe was saying is a revival is a love and a passion for him, not the feelings, but mm-hmm. him. And if it's him, then you're going to be consistently there and God's just going to pour out grace yeah. every so often that just fills you mm-hmm. so big that you're like, I want more. Yeah. I would say too that <clears throat> oftentimes here's where our emotions are and here's the Bible. We're going to read it and we don't know how it attaches to here. I'm in the dumps usually because I don't have the right perspective and that's what the Bible is. It's helping me think and feel after God. So if I'm down, if I feel discouraged, let's just say I feel like, oh, these, I mean, I'm a, I'm just a terrible pastor. I can't do anything right. I, you know, I can't lead anybody and I've been there. Uh, how do I take my soul when it's in the dumps and, and the word of God help me out of that? Because really we should be doing that. That's what the, that's what the Bible is. It is the cure for the soul. It's a cure for uh, what I, because feelings are what? It's the evaluation of where I'm at. It might not be accurate, but it's my own feeling or evaluation of where I'm at. And I need God's word to straighten me out. Because that's the first line uh, of things that need to happen. Because when I straighten myself out by God's word, feelings start to come in the right manner. Because if I'm thinking, oh, I'm terrible, I don't know why I'm doing this. The Bible says, well, <clears throat> you know, because I've called you maybe. Um, even if it's even if you have a ministry like Jeremiah and nothing happens, to be faithful to me is where you need to. You know, so I'm starting to think through that and pray my heart into a better spot. What happens when I'm doing that is my spirit starts to give, it starts to feel joy, starts to feel closest with God because I'm dealing with wrong thinking according to the scriptures. So that's where it's not just taking a sugar pill in the morning like I'm doing my. Scripture, yeah. God, somehow. No, I'm applying it to where my soul is. Some people don't even, you can't even, some people you don't even know how to evaluate your soul. But what am I feeling right now? Feelings aren't important, but they are important if you want to know what you're actually thinking at the moment. Yeah. Evaluating about your, your life. And you take your feelings by the hand and bring it to Scripture and get it aligned then there's going to be closeness. There's going to be joy and peace and comfort as you do that. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression that says that very thing, right? That you got to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. By, you have to, he says you have to take yourself by the hand and lead yourself to the truth that you need to embrace. Like that book is, it's a little large for a book on spiritual depression because depressed people usually don't like to read a whole lot. Um, <laughs> but it's a really good book. But I mean, if it's a long book, they've got, it's something to look forward to. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a long book might be good. Is it good? Okay. The, uh, but yeah, that, that idea of talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself, because you're, oh. that's exactly what you were saying is, yeah, we're just kind of, it's the echo chamber of our own. The, the whirlwind echo chamber of our own emotions and senses, whereas the Bible says, oh, yeah, you need to get out of that cycle and see it from this divine perspective. That's good. Yeah, and I would say just be, be aware of comparing yourself to other people um, in your walk with the Lord. So when it comes to, oh, that person, look how, look how intimate their relationship is with the Lord. Mm. Um, and then you compare yourself to them and you get down, right? It's, it's not... I, I think the, the aim is just, it's faith. It's clinging to Christ. It's clinging to the promises. And it's not the degree of faith that, that 
merits God's love towards you. And just you got to remember that, that, um, that the, the degree of intimacy you're having is not dependent. God, God still loves you. You are righteous. If you're, if you're in Christ, you have to remember your status mm-hmm. and move forward and tr- look to him by faith. Um, so all of these things by resting clinging to the promises of who Jesus is. And as you keep your eyes on him, I think the, the people that have the most intimate relationship with the Lord are the people that aren't even focused on their intimacy with the Lord. They're just focusing on Christ and, and they're walking according mm-hmm. to the word. Like, um, and so it's kind of like a watch pot never boils, I guess. If you're always focused on yourself so much that, uh, you know, you got to keep your eyes on, on Christ. So that would be my, my uh, exhortation to you. Uh, another question we have is what uh, was asked by my older brother, and it, I was not able to answer it. Not my older brother. I'm the oldest in my family. So, uh, why did God require bloodshed in order for sins to be forgiven? Great. Well, in the Old Testament, it's explained that you know life is in the blood, and so there needed mm-hmm. to be uh, a, a sacrifice of some sort. And so I'm gonna shotgun it like this and say, not, you know, like shotgun, Um, that on the one hand, you break the covenant. Well, you know, there's shotgunning. There's a youth culture. If I say shotgun, they're going to think party time. So I'm trying to explain. I don't mean party time shotgun. He's just going to throw a lot at you to take all in. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Is that right? Yeah. Shotgun. It's going to come hard and fast. Okay. Go. Here he comes. I guess it is the same. It's the same. Okay. Whatever analogy works. Jimmy speaks fluent Joe. <laughs> he does. I'm he his does. translator. Joe is my second language. Yeah. I'm JSL. I thought I was your love language. No, no. Everybody's no, got their no. own love. Okay. Um, so, so when we're talking about you know, blood, we're talking about life and death. And uh, from the old covenant, to, from the covenant of works, right? Uh, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Your, your, your blood will be required, right, of you. So you. You broke the covenant, you're going to die. And throughout the covenants, you see many of them, um, the, there is, like one definition of covenant that's popular is that it's a bond in blood sovereignly administered, which means the covenants in the Bible are instituted by God but are characterized by a blood oath, which means if you break the covenant, you will die. Even God himself enters into that covenant saying, I would die if I broke this covenant, even though he can't break the covenant because he's God. That's the whole point. So... Blood sacrifice is a depiction of the consequence of breaking the law and the penalty mm-hmm. that's due. And it's, it's not just that, oh, this sacrifice is going to magically take it away. It, it points to the issue of substitution. So you've got blood, death, which is the consequence of sin, right? You've got to pay the penalty of sin. But the substitutionary sacrifice is why we have an animal sacrifice yeah. In the Old Testament, which did not take away sins, it pointed to the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. It was a depiction of the remission of guilt that Israel longed for and ultimately did experience uh, through Christ, who would come 2,000 years later. So it's, a, it's all about uh, death and uh, the consequence of breaking the covenant. That's how I would shotgun it. Like the wages of sin is death. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've been redeemed by his blood. That's first, uh, Ephesians 1, 7. So, yeah, great. There you have it, right there. (laughs) Other than John, another question. Uh, Are there any other books, other than the book of John, the gospel of John, are there any other books you recommend for for a personal Bible study somewhere to start? Like for someone just when they're beginning? I guess. Maybe it could be. 
Yeah, I always try to point people towards Mark because it's nice and short, it's concise, um, and it's something that like then I can go through it with them. And it's not like a huge investment, I guess. Uh, so typically when I'm working with someone um, who's fairly new and they're learning, um, I try to ask them, let's go through Mark together, right? Because um, it's kind of manageable and yeah, people are usually on board with that. You start Romans, too many people want to start with Romans. It's like, nah, nah, don't, yeah, stay away, you know, stick with Mark. <laughs> or John. Outside oh. of the Bible or? I guess Just, we could go there too. Oh, I guess you could, yeah. Specify it. I think okay. it was talking about books of the Bible, but books of we the can Bible. also. Okay. I mentioned morning and evening. You know, you mentioned Valley of Vision using for. Yeah, for, for prayer. prayer. So if there's, yeah, any. I think that the important thing to keep in mind is yes, be in the Word. Yes, read something. But if you don't read with some help, yeah. like get guidance. Get a a brother or a sister that can walk you through it. Because it's, if you're a new Christian. Man, you just don't know what you don't know, and you can get into trouble. All kinds of old heresies are going to be popping into your head if you're reading things out of context and you don't know why they're, why they're there. I was actually really thankful that uh, I was a brand-new Christian. Like I said, I, don't, I didn't know any of the stories. And um, I had a friend give me like 20 verses to look up. So there, there's no context for me, but I had heard the gospel enough that the verses made sense based on my understanding of the gospel. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. that kind of gave me some uh, some exposure. But I started reading the Bible over, I just started reading it through over and over again, beginning to end, because I had no background, and I wanted to understand. And I quickly bought a book called uh, Living by the Book by Hendricks and Hendricks. It's a Bible, it's an old, oh, yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, a good one. Real yeah. simple, yeah, DTS. Yep. And uh, so my point is, is get some help, whether it's, uh, how That's to interpret the Bible or mm -hmm. be a part of a church, join a Bible study. Mm -hmm. But I think John is good. So, but, it, as soon as you, but even John is like, yeah, start with John. Okay, in the beginning was the word. What the heck? Yeah. Like, that's nuts. That's bonk. Mark ends with like no resurrection appearances. And, and then if you read the stuff that talks about the resurrection, those related added later, it gets all confusing for people. It's all. Like, they know. They know the 16th chapter was added. That's what I'm saying, though. Is like, how are you going to see why you're okay, unloaded then, this And then it's like scorpions are handling scorpions and snakes in, in Mark. And that's why I walk them through it. Okay, that's what I'm saying. You got to. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> I usually just do Second John, just one reading, one sitting right there. One reading right it's there. all hard. That's that's my point. Is if you're unfamiliar, it's all weird because it just there's just so much background needed in each book. But I also recommend John. I like that a lot. Yeah. So this one's for Jimmy. Oh, how do you awesome. Make, how do you make your hair look so good? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. What Secret. Nah, nah, nah. That's a. I can't share. Beard oil. Can't, I do a lot, yeah, a lot of beard oil. Not a ton of beard oil, but just some cream. Uh, this is kind of weird. I don't know. I got products. I have products. Oh, Jimmy has lots and typically of products. They're, I mean, no, it's my wife's products. I just use whatever she has. So I don't believe has, that for a minute. You've got your own bag. You've, oh, got, no, stop, stop, you've got special toothpaste stop. that your wife doesn't have. You've got, it's charcoal paste black. He's got all, you've got oh, like all true. kinds of colognes and oils and stuff in your bag. Clive Whoa, Christensen, man, I love it. That's what makes him so happen. Say it again? That's what makes him so happy. That's right. I like the finer, th I'm part of the finer things club. Yeah. That's right. And you are out, Andy. You okay, are good. out. I want to be out. As, as long so as you don't get the reference, I, I do. they did. I, I got it. I was going to say, at least I'm not Toby. I'm glad I'm not Toby. Toby's in the finer things club. I don't want it. I'd rather be out than be Toby. He doesn't get it. Toby's awful. Just get rid of him. Just get 
Toby's right. the worst. <laughs> now to uh, a little bit more serious question here. That I, thought, I thought we were bad. I thought serious. that mattered. It was serious. Sorry. Uh, what are some common situations in which Christians today neglect and disregard the authority of Scripture that you have seen? How would you warn people to avoid these errors? Is that for Jim? It's for all of us. Oh, whoever wants to take it. What common situations? It, all, it always comes down to whatever their idol is. Yeah. It always comes down to that. I mean, we've, we've walked people in our church and people in our family through nightmarish situations, yeah. and they're all different, but they're all the same. They're all different in that, you know, it, in one case, it might be, you know, drug use or alcohol or an affair or whatever. It's like we will justify our sin yeah. or be willing to risk and destroy what's most important to us because of this one thing that isn't God that we take more seriously and want more than God. So I just think it comes down to idolatry. It's what? It could be literally, it, it could be your, your electric train hobby. Right? It could be anything. Yeah. It could be anything as silly and small as it, as it appears. Anything can destroy and unravel your life if you put it first. And I think part of it, there's also like this lack of, uh, uh, there's a danger, I think, of having a lack of humbleness, right? I think what I see from people that are struggling or will struggle is this lack of humility and thinking they have this arrogance that they're beyond their sin, right? That they're beyond their sin, they're beyond temptation, they're beyond... Um, or they can manage it. Or that they can manage yeah. it on their own. You know, yeah, they, they can, I got this. I, I I've got this under check. control. And then it just blows up in their face. Um, and along with, the, like a, I think, a wrong posture is where I see people it, really struggling is in regards to the lordship of Christ in their lives. Like they want to be, as you're talking about this, this idolatry, they want to be their own gods. Mm -hmm. They want to be their own lord. They want to... Uh, really go to their own authority rather than the authority of Scripture um, for the life of the believer. Yeah, I would say the same thing as Joe because there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, beautiful statements of faith in churches, but then when it personally goes against what I want, yeah. then there's so much justification of why the Bible doesn't say what it seems to say. Mm -hmm. And I think also personality-wise, we, we will tend to fall off on either side. Either we're very loving and we care about people and we don't want anyone to, to uh, move away from us. And so we'll compromise the truth to keep that person happy. And that will be a, mm -hmm. a concern. The people mm -hmm. who are just like fiery on truth, you'll send them in a, another way. But the... Uh, Going off this, uh, in seasons of trial and hardship, what do you read and how does God remind you of his goodness? Mm. I'm sure there's some going through trials right now in our congregation. So. Yeah, personally for me, um, I find a lot, of, a lot of comfort in the Psalms. Just reading the Psalms over and over again. Uh, I find like the Psalms of Ascent is really, I think, beneficial for my soul in the midst of struggle. Uh, the Psalms of Ascent are what they would sing as they're heading up, you know, heading up the, uh, uh, towards the temple to, to praise and worship God. And even though I wasn't particularly feeling like I'm ready to worship God, praying through the Psalms of Ascent and, and reading the Psalms of Ascent started changing me because like, as you're reading it, you're reminded of like, 
why we're going up to worship God, that he is good and he is faithful. He has, he has never let go of his people. He has, um, yeah, he has stuck by us, right? And so I, I find that really good for me as well as Nehemiah. Nehemiah I find really, just because it's this cycle of like the people following God, then disobeying God, then being punished by God, then crying out to God, and then forgiven by God, and they just keep doing it over and over again. I'm like, that's my life, right? <laughs> so if he's still with them, he's still with me. I, I read the Psalms as well um, a lot, and that's probably where I go when I'm hurting. Um, Psalms of lament, actually. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys ever feel this way, but um, songs about suicide when I was a lost person, and I was very suicidal. Um, songs about suicide, whether that's Suicide Solution or Fade to Black by Metallica, whatever, those songs were actually very comforting to me because I knew that they knew what I was going through. Mm. Didn't encourage suicide. In fact, pretty much everybody that wrote in the Metal's Edge in the 80s would say, this song about suicide and taking, my, taking a life saved me from committing suicide. Mm. So I experienced that in the world long before I read the scripture. And, but when I read the Psalms, the Psalms of Lament, like they're beaten down, they're broken, and they're mm. honest with God about it. And, or when I'm reading like Psalm 73, uh, and this guy is like, questioning his theology, he's questioning his faith. He's in crisis mode, and he's honest with God about it. I love that because, wow, there's a person who is afflicted, and they're being honest. They're being transparent yeah. and open with God. They're not trying to hide. So the Psalms are really big for me. And then a book that uh, uh, I recommend and, and that I've read a couple times that I really like is an Uplifting for the Downcast yeah. by Thomas Bridge. Uh, it's a Puritan paperback. Uh, it's very good. That's, uh, some people like the Bruce Reed. That was my favorite. But uh, this one's better. Yeah. Uplift, nah, Bruce Reed's fantastic. No. Bruce Reed's like baby stuff. Nah, it's not this baby stuff. This is more advanced spiritual. I, I was wondering if you guys are going to go at it. No. You guys are agreeing. I know, Joe just can't stop. It's good. For me, it's, it's First and Second Samuel. I love the life of David. Um, yeah. You know, he's tender toward God. He longs for God, and yet now he's a leader, and he's going to see a lot of turmoil and crisis yeah. and still you know failing calling out to god i feel there's so much affinity in his life and mine so any kind of narrative i'm in genesis right now i just i love listening to people's lives as they're being lived mm. and I, I gain comfort because you know you realize that there's not a lot of new things in the sun there's there's things that they experience that i experience and the sins and I commit where they, it seems like they commit them to, and there's comfort there. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I, I love Psalm 42 and 43, and this goes back to your point, because David is, he's, in this, he's despairing, and he's preaching to himself. Mm -hmm. um, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? He's like questioning yeah. himself, and that's, he, that's what, there's times and seasons like that where you need to do that. And I love Lamentations, because I just picture Jeremiah's, he's sitting looking over the destruction of Jerusalem and weeping. And he's making his complaint. It's gnarly. If you read Lamentations 3, he's going at it, but then he switches. And he says, I think in verse 19 or 20, he says, but this, I, I come to mind, he switches, he starts praising the Lord. Mm. It's one of the sweetest uh, passages of Scripture. And I remember when Caitlin and I were going through our miscarriage, that was an honest prayer as reading that, weeping, but thankful, reminding myself of who... God is, and that he is good, is steadfast. He doesn't afflict from the heart. That's verse 33. And then gentle and lowly in that book, he has a whole chapter mm -hmm. on that. It's just 
focusing in on Christ and his afflictions are helpful as well. Uh, but yeah, and then in community, we're broken yeah. people. Yeah. That's why we, we come to church. We don't have it all together. It's a hospital. And so this is why we need community to open up and, and to learn how to weep with those who weep and mourn, or mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice um, is super important. Um, not Do not isolate. Um, um, isolation, it, it could lead... You need community um, in those times as well. So mm-hmm. that's, that's I think it's also good to say that, like to point out, I know I do it a lot with people uh, that are suffering, that like the psalmists wrote those, like the psalm that, like 42. That psalm wasn't written in a day. Yeah. That psalm was written over the course of time, experience. He was depressed, discouraged for a season, for a season. The resolution that we read in 90 seconds uh, <laughs> didn't happen to him in 90 seconds. Like, the, God is faithful. He will not abandon you. But sometimes he's going to let you walk through the, the, the valley of mm. the shadow of death. He's there, and he's going to guide you. But you've got to walk through it. It's like the, 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 things take time, and I, I, I think we should, we should be more honest about that with each other. Like, yeah, this is going to hurt for a while. This is going to be hard for a while. Uh, so we'll buckle up, but God's not going to give up on you. Mm. I like what you said, that you're not... Don't isolate. Isolate is the easiest thing to do immediately because, you know, it takes a little bit of emotional energy to be around other people when mm. you're sad. Yeah. But you think about that. The reason why it is is because you probably aren't used to being honest when you're in front of people. You have to gear up and put a happy face on. You have to, you know. And I think uh, that community, the more that we can be transparent and open, um, the better, better it is. They, because then people speak into it. We can talk about our issues in front of people, which even talking about it helps. And they're going to point us back to the Lord. And hey, I've got a verse that mm-hmm. I just read yesterday, and all of that helps us, lifts us up. Yeah, and I would just encourage those if you have friends that are that don't sometimes don't be quick to just throw a verse at them, but to listen and just be with them. That's the only good thing Job's friends did <laughs> at, the, at the beginning. They sat with him and, um, and used pr- uh, wisdom on when to bring in truth. And, um, yeah, but some prayer and being with them. Mm-hmm. I guess this is a good Roman Catholicism came up a couple times tonight. So why do Catholics believe they are the first faith and they are the truth? I guess that's just the question. Obviously, we're saying that sola scriptura is the final authority, so why, why would they anathemize those that would hold the justification by faith and private interpretation of the word and <laughs> any Protestants? Yeah, I mean, uh, what, do you want to take that one? No, go ahead. No, sorry. Um, I think part of it comes down to just their tradition of believing that, you know, looking at Peter as kind of the, the first pope, he's the one that has the keys to the kingdom, and so that those keys have been passed down through succession to, to each, you know, pope after that. And so they, they believe that, uh, the doctrine, though, believes that they've got, it's not just the infallible word of God, but their vo- the mother church, the voice of the church is also infallible. Like, it's also what they say is true. And so it's like, it's, you've got the inspired word of God, but you've also got the inspired church. Of God is how they see it. So they, this one, and they see themselves. What do they use the word? What's the word? Magistrates, mm-hmm. right? Um, as if as they're the ones that are the 
the key holders of, of Christianity or of, of yeah, God's way. They have the history. They have, yeah, succession from the first pope if they yep. see Peter and then all the rest. And also the Reformation wasn't really a reforming of Catholicism. I mean, it was. It was really a rupture. They decided to bolt and uh, do something else. Well, actually, the Catholic Church didn't want them around anymore. So in one sense, they're thinking that, yeah, you're the ones that left. Yep. We're the ones that have... You left the faith. You left yeah. the faith. Well, we, they kicked us out, actually. Like, Luther didn't want to leave. Luther, no, Luther, wanted to, Luther wanted to fix it, and they were like, no, you're, you're condemned as a heretic. So, and then you got with the various sects, yeah, people are breaking off and, and branching out. I think, the, I think part of the problem is that you know, they have these three authorities, right? Um, they have the scripture, they have the pope, and they have tradition. All three have equal authority. One is not lesser than another. Um, and some of them wind up in conflict with each other. Obviously the scripture, but some of them wind up in conflict uh, with each other. So they're, they're looking at this in a, in a very different way than, than we look because we would, because of sola scriptura, which is what you guys have put on here, that's the whole point. Like, that is the thing that sets us apart from them, because everything else is a consequence of sola scriptura. Sola scriptura means we can question the 20th century doctrine when the Pope spoke ex cathedra, that Mary rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and became queen of heaven. That's an official Roman Catholic dogma. So, like, in the 20th century that was decided and declared. 1900s. Yeah. Like, it was literally, I think it was like 1950. It was, it was, it was 20th century. But at the same time, when you're talking to Catholics, just be aware that the Catholic Church is a confused mess yeah. because you have the Council of Trent, which would say that anybody in here that has an assurance of salvation is damned. But then Vatican II would call you brothers and sisters mm -hmm. who are just ignorant. So it depends on what branch of the Catholic Church you're dealing with, what people, like it's, it's just not as cut and dry. And it depends on which pope too, right? So each pope has their own kind of flavor. Yeah, they do. Uh, what was the one, what started with a B? Suave? Yeah, Benedict, Benedict was a bit uh, harsher. Benedict Cumberbatch? Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah. Rats, was that the one? Yeah. yeah. Benedict. With that's the Benedict. Eyes. So Benedict was a bit more rougher. He, he wanted to go like pre-Vatican Council. We need to go back to the Latin Mass sort of a thing. Uh, and so it depends on, on the leanings of, of each pope. So it, it kind of it changes, right? But it seems like they're all together. Even though they're spread out. In all, but they're all in one container. Whereas the oh, Protestant, yeah. well, I mean, we've split. split We're splinters, split, yeah. Split, split, split. So that's why they say, well, we're, we're, the, mm -hmm. yeah. we're the first. We're even, the, though, even though they're not, because there, there was a great schism in like 1057 or whatever it was. No. 1054. So either we have the Eastern and the Western Church. So they still don't really get to say that, but they do. You're right. They do say that. They claim it. So, you know, a lot, we do share a lot of history with them. You know, the Apostles' Creed, they would confess that. Um, and Which yeah, there, there is all, I would say there's always a, a remnant, you know, throughout the Dark Ages and, and, and through that of like John Huss and some others, but how, do, how would you reach them today? Like, you know, we want to love them, care for them. Uh, I'm sure some people have friends here. You may have that background as well. Mm -hmm. You know, how would you encourage just reaching them with the gospel? I love it because they have certain baseline that you can yeah. call upon. They're guilty over sin. They know about sin. They know about God. There are some basics that have laid the foundation. It's like Paul talking to Jews, right? It's, it's, it's very similar in that they, they believe there is one God, they have access to the scriptures, 
So Paul's like, you're like you're Jesus in the synagogue. It's like kind of easy uh, for them to start there. So with a Catholic, you can start with Scripture. Yeah. And like I've, I've evangelized and led one Catholic to the Lord, and I've had Catholic friends who are believers. Um, but in, in every case when I'm doing evangelism or I've led this one guy to the Lord, um, I just say, like, I, I focus on the, the difference. Here's the difference. I'm a Protestant. You're a Catholic. Do you know what the difference is between the two? They always say no. And then I go, well, let's, let, me, let yeah. me show it to you in the Bible. And it's like, this is what I think. Um, and they always find it at least interesting, if not compelling. Like, they want to know more, or they're like, huh, that's never really laid out for me that way. And I would also say recognize that most Catholics, at least, mo- at least the vast majority of Catholics that I run into are nominal, meaning they're Catholic in name, they go a few times, or that's maybe they go somewhat regularly, but they're not real Catholics in that they accept whatever the Pope says. They're not that. They use birth control. Like, they're not, they're not going to listen to everything. Yeah, yeah. Focus on justification by faith alone. Yeah. That's a big, you know, salvation by works or versus grace. They would say we're saved by grace. So that, that's, that's the difference. But it's pretty much, it's, we're justified through our sanctification. Um, and so just holding on. How, how can we be declared righteous? This is what, how can you be declared righteous when you receive Christ by faith, yet you're not really righteous? And so they would call it a legal fic- fiction. But we go back to the scripture, Romans 3. Um, four or five, mm-hmm. Ephesians one through two. So just using the word of God and having those those rules mm-hmm. are important. Um, let's see. By the way, and ask people questions. Yeah. You're talking if you're talking to somebody of a different faith or of a different tribe of some sort, and they're not believers. Man, ask lots of questions. You'll find out what they know and don't know, and what they believe and don't believe, just by asking them. Be interested and try to understand it. Don't you try to get them. Try to understand what they're saying and why they believe it. Gotcha. Yeah. Ha-ha! Loser! Ha-ha! Don't do that. <laughs> Unless it's a Presbyterian. They're totally fine to do that yeah. Presbyterians. <laughs> I love my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. Uh, they're very fancy. They're sprinkling their babies. So uh, some of my favorite people are Presbyterians. But if you actually get to know and understand them, they're going to open up. And if you listen to them and ask them questions, they're more likely to listen to you when you're you know, coming back. No. So we got, we got five minutes, so maybe we get through couple of these how would you weed out this maybe one of you here how would you weed out misinterpreting the bible um, while you're reading scripture any basic i guess tools or principles in interpreting scripture yeah i mean i think you know start with like a, a study bible or a commentary something there with you so you can kind of check over what you're thinking but as i mentioned earlier i think accountability is really important so being part of a group and checking with others um, on kind of how you're reading it and interpreting it Historic. And if you're the first one to think of it, then you're wrong. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing good coming from you inventing a doctrine. Also, uh, historically, it's called the analogy of faith. The analogy of faith means scripture interprets scripture. Yeah. Okay? So check your understanding of a particular passage by another passage that is easier to yeah. understand and might yeah. shed light on it. Yeah, usually people run into problems when it's one verse, usually in the Old Testament. Yep. That really sounds awesome. What you need to do is read the whole chapter, read a few chapters context. around it. Context, context is everything yeah. because, you know, you've, I've heard some really fanciful things launched from one verse in the Old Testament and they don't understand what it means. So read around, read several chapters, get context. That's good. Um, again, we have those ransom Bible study methods out there on the resource tables. So make sure you grab some. That'll, that'll definitely help you. Um, how do you break a sinful habit addiction? 
Stop it. <laughs> You're laughing because you know that doesn't work. <laughs> my, my experience is um, with, for myself and for the people that I'm allowed to serve, you need to have people with whom you can be brutally, embarrassingly honest so they can know. Um, you're, you're not going to overcome your sin in a practical sense uh, on your own, more than likely, and you're going to need help, and for you to get help, somebody needs to know what's going on. And you don't just need an accountability partner who's going to be like, understand, it's tough. You need somebody who has worked through that problem and yeah. can actually give you wisdom because you can overcome sins. You can't live perfect, but you can overcome that sin of gossip or lust or greed or whatever it is, anger, jealousy. You can overcome it. But I would say um, in my, I need someone or some people with whom I can be brutally honest who are going to encourage me in the way mm -hmm. I'm supposed to go. Um, I've got to stay connected to the means of grace, which means I'm reading God's word and I'm praying and I'm going to worship. I'm not neglecting those things, but I'm seeking to cultivate a heart for God, and that gets back to this whole idea of preaching to yourself or um, not listening to yourself but talking to yourself. It's a lifelong process. I'll tell you what, I was struggling with, uh, yeah, I, was struggling, I was in college struggling with lust, and I was talking to this professor, super godly dude, Vietnam War vet, and I'm like, man, I, who said sour? It was Dr. Sour. Yes, so Dr. Sour, Baller, <laughs> super baller, old school. He was in the he was in the Walking Dead group. Not, that was before the show. Doesn't matter. Anyways, he was a bad guy in Vietnam. So um, I said, I said, Doctor Sauer, I don't even know how I can be a believer because I'm still struggling with lust. I mean, I'm a Christian now for like three years, four years. I thought I'd be like done, like you know. And he goes, What do you think I struggle with every day? And I was like, You ain't struggling with lust. And he said, Yes, I am. I go, really? And he goes, yeah. But, but then he explained, he's like, listen, it doesn't mean that I'm falling into that. I'm struggling with it. I'm fighting it. I have to resist and fight. And one way to think about it, especially with some of these sins like lust or pornography, is it's not like am I struggling with it, it's am I using, right? Like a drug and addict. Like, oh, I'm using or I'm not using. If you're struggling, you're not using. You're tempted. So you got to draw those lines of distinction. But anyways, I need people, accountability. I need some structure. I need some practical things that I need to do, and I need to focus on heart change. Yeah, those are good. I if you think struggling or uh, tempt, temptation is the battle for what you're going to be satisfied at that moment. Yeah, so when you when you land into sin, you're saying in your mind, "I can find more satisfaction in this sin than I can Christ." Mm -hmm. That's what's happening. Mm -hmm. That's why unbelief. We. Right, and what, what brings belief and what brings strength of faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So time in the word is an important piece. Why? Because I need to be reminded of what's most satisfying. Hmm. Not like I'm, like, like in temptation, if I throw a verse at the devil, he's going to go, start to melt like the wicked witch of the west. He's, no, it's, it's me believing that scripture. Me praying that scripture so I get to the other side and see that Christ is more satisfying. But that might, you know, that's taking the word of God. That's going on a walk in prayer and making it so that I can get to the place where I can declare, God, you are way more satisfying. But that's a work of faith. That's a work of faith over time. Mm -hmm. And yes, I got brothers that I have to be, my wife, 
I have to be brutally honest with of the things that I am struggling with. And when I fall into sin, I'm going to say, I just did that. And uh, those are not very fun. <laughs> those are not fun moments. But because I love Christ, I want to do anything, anything to get rid of it. It's like you need these two things, right? Like you're talking about you need the, the, the faith promises of God, like you need these principles for heart transformation, but you also need just practical helps, like, okay, so I have to get up and go for a walk. If I stay in this room, I'm going to completely, you know, destroy everything, so I got to get out of this thing. John Piper has this, he says some weird things, but one of the good things that he said was, hey, if you're struggling with pornography, guys, mostly, some girls too, if you're struggling with pornography, go outside. You just go outside. And he goes deeper than just like, oh, it changes your environment. He goes, it's pretty hard to look at, the God, at God's creation and not to begin to feel the weight of the presence of God. I mean, it's like, it's like practical things like that you can just do. Mm -hmm. Like those matter, mm -hmm. but those alone aren't going to change the heart. Right. And changing the heart is great, but sometimes you've got to get out of the situation first before you can. So I think those are two good Yeah, and I think polls. recognize it. I think Ed, Ed Welch talks about this in his book, Addictions, Banquet in the Grave, that your addictions isn't something from starting from outside of you. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a worship problem in your heart. So the heart is, is what you need to go after. So that's where those practical things of you need and why you need both of these, uh, a faith in Christ and, mm -hmm. and for him to change your heart and to desire the things that God desires and to hate the things that he hates and along with all those things. So I think that's a good and I think along with that, like you want to develop and commit to a plan, just mm -hmm. the practicality of yep. it, right? Yep. Is if you long before, not long, but before you actually succumb to your sin, you are being tempted. And so once you recognize what are those triggers, what are those things that are kind of setting me, you know, and not, not triggered like it's somebody else's fault or something, you know, but like something happens, right? Like You know you. I know, you know me. I know if I pass by McDonald's, I smell them fries. I'm st yeah. That's a trigger. Just it's like, a trigger. Just like before we came here this day. Yeah, you know what, Joe? Joe, Joe, you're supposed to be my boy. 12 o'clock. You're supposed to be my boy. You got, you got fries. You it was like, only 120 calories. I went small. He did. He, get, he went small. I went small. Are you, yeah. So anyways, but you know, like, you know, like, your triggers, you know, and you know when you start to sense, like, I'm being tempted right now. So what is my plan? What is my plan? Right? Like, say it again? Protocols. So what's my protocol? Yeah. What are those things I'm going to do? Whether going outside, calling a brother, like what are... Splashing cold water on your face, going yeah. to the gym, like a million things. So many things. Yeah. I guess last Read scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. He calls me out like that, right? This is my Just keeping it real. That you... Keep they don't it. even say that anymore. The kids don't say keeping it real. Why are you trying to sound like you're young? Because I'm old. I'm using my words. Keeping it real up here in the field. That's how we used to say it. Keepeth the realeth? Your yeah, words? Yeah, that was back in the, the, old, the old English, the Elizabethan era, yeah. What was it like knowing Jeremiah? Hey, that was, he was cranky. That, that was a question. That was an actual question. Someone, what? Someone texted that in. What, what was, was it like the, knowing Jeremiah? Well, I wonder who that was. <laughs> mm, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Don't read the number out loud. <laughs> Yeah, it was my question. It was mine. That's so funny. <laughs> last, last question, and then we'll, we'll close out. It's been great. But I think this one's important because I think it has to do with revival. And, um, I think even a lot of students that have siblings that have gone to camp, they've had an experience or they've had an experience in their life, and since then they have walked away from faith. And so they just said, could you talk about once saved, always saved, 
What about someone who claims to have been a Christian but then leaves a faith where they never truly saved? I guess just that person is wrestling with that. And you know, I've I have family members in my life that have once confessed and they are not walking with the Lord, so it is a pastoral issue. Um, what would you guys say to that? There are two things to address. One is the, the very simple theological answer. Theology is easy, guys. Like getting the answer right. It's, we've 2,000 years to work this stuff out. It's not complicated for most of these things. If a person is born again by the Spirit of God and justified by God's grace and united with Jesus, he cannot be ununited and unjustified. So once saved, always saved is a bad way to put it because it's usually connected to other doctrines. But a person who has been saved is saved. So if a person who professed Christ walks away, um, then they were not saved. That's what the Bible calls apostasy, right? But, but that is the easy, that's like, okay. That being able to, to differentiate, well, that person was never saved to begin with, doesn't actually help you process the loss or walk them back yeah. to the church. Yeah. And too many people, especially in our tribe, yeah. they go right there, well, deconverted, loser, obviously never knew Jesus. And I'm not really exaggerating uh, when they talk that way on Twitter. Okay, how does, what is, how does that help? That's not even how Jesus spoke with people. So uh, I, th I think the thing is, is if you see somebody walking away, think about it and talk to them about it or talk about it in the ways that Scripture does, right? That they had, like in, in Hebrews, oh, they had shared in the Spirit. Like, you know, they, they had experienced quite a lot. Like they, maybe they weren't, they weren't converted, but they, like, don't shortchange their experience. Mm -hmm. They were close to all of this stuff. So um, in, in terms of how do, you, how do you handle it, man, just love them and pray for them and realize that it's not harder for God to save them now than it was before. Yeah. It's, it, it, only God can do it. It takes a miracle, and it's not hard for God. So pray that God would do it. And, and, and don't lose hope and don't give up, but I would say maintain the friendship. Yeah. No, I agree. Any, any words on that, John? Oh, I love it. 